Thank you for joining IAB There. All right. Hello, everyone. I am David Cohen. I am the CEO of uh, the IAB, and welcome to IAB There. I'm super excited about the uh, topic we have today and the guest we have, uh, which we will bring on in a moment. The topic of today is the future of brand safety and brand suitability on emerging platforms. And uh, our special guest is Mike Henry, the CEO of OpenSlate. And as I was thinking about it, I was trying to think about how long I know Mike Henry for. And I wanna say it's 20 years, easy. I mean, I, I, I know I give the appearance that I'm a newbie in this business, but I think that we, we met each other probably 20 years ago uh, at least. So Mike, please, uh, please join me in the, uh, in the stream and I'm sure we're gonna have a great uh, conversation. I have a long bio and background for you and I'm not gonna go through it in, in any great detail. I'll just highlight uh, two things. Uh, you founded OpenSlate in 2010, and I believe I know that, I remember that actually uh, reasonably well uh, at, at the time that you did that. Uh, and you worked at a place as I was looking through your bio that brought me back called Vio, uh, which was kind of a, I remember that way back in the, in the day, that was also um, kind of a nostalgic moment for myself. And then the last one, which I will not hold against you, Philly born and bred, Eagles green, running through <laughs> your veins. That's very unfortunate. I didn't realize Sounds that or know that about you. I'm a Giants fan, sadly to say. And I really don't like the Eagles at all. In fact, I can't stand them. So we'll keep that. We'll park that to the side and we can uh, move on, <laughs> to, uh, on to other topics. But thank you for joining me. Fair it's great enough. to see you. Thanks so much for having me. I wish you hadn't said it, David, because I actually think it's probably more like 25 years. But uh, Oh, dear. Oh, well. Okay. Five years uh, yeah. among friends, what does that mean? It's, it's also right, so a particularly dark year to be in the NFC East. Right. Yes, indeed. All right. All right. So let's talk about some, uh, some business uh, stuff. You have um, some exciting news, which I know that we're going to uh, talk about. I'll just dive in right now. I saw the news about TikTok. And I also remember you when you mentioned this to me quite a while ago, that it was in the kind of germination phase and kind of in the work. So tell the audience, uh, what is the TikTok news? Uh, and uh, tell us about your partnership. Sure, thanks. I mean, uh, the timing of this conversation is fantastic because you're right, we've been talking to them for a while um, and developing our solution with them for quite some time. Uh, but just last week, we were super excited to announce that uh, we've partnered with TikTok for brand safety. They've chosen us as their brand safety partner uh, here in the US. And um, it's, it's great for us, it's exciting for us because as you know, David, our content rating system is meant to be a universal way for advertisers to understand the nature and quality of content across really all platforms. Um, TikTok is, is unique. I think TikTok is an exceptional piece of software. It's an exceptional community. It's growing very quickly. Um, it's definitely the new kid on the block. And so talking to them about how they would approach brand safety and suitability has been fascinating for the folks at my company. Um, TikTok knows they're under a lot of scrutiny, right, uh, across the board, but certainly advertisers are interested in the content that's on the platform. They've got a lot of explaining to do. They have to explain, you know, what the ad products are, who the audience is, but certainly where we come in is helping the marketplace understand the content, right? Advertisers need to understand what good content looks like on this unique, fast-growing platform. Um, and they also are very interested in sort of brand safety as it applies to TikTok. And so TikTok decided through these conversations about six months ago that they would take a very conservative approach 
to how they define safety and suitability on the platform. Um, and, and working with us effectively, they've, they've codified that. They're explaining it to advertisers now that we're public. Um, and, and what it means is that while I think we've done a fantastic job as an industry in defining the floor for brand safety, obviously, David, you've been a big part of that. Garm and, and the WFA has been a big part of that. Um, they wanted to go a little bit farther, right? So their definition of brand safety and suitability that they'll be taking out to the market is a bar set slightly higher than where we've set it as an industry overall. And so as an example, ads in their feed won't be next to content that has profanity or suggestive dancing or strong political statements. And I think it's important, right? They, they need to pull advertisers into this environment with um, a lot of transparency uh, and a lot of data and you know, us as a third party. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very exciting news. Uh, just as a personal aside, of two uh, teenage daughters uh, who have illuminated me to the ways of TikTok, and I have found myself absolutely lost in a stream of content. Uh, and before I know it, it's a half hour later, and I'm still the endless kind of uh, stream. And, and I, I do believe that there's probably some great value to kind of thinking about that content in a striated way, in a brand safety and brand suitable uh, way. So it's uh, I think it's a great marriage of kind of open slate and TikTok together. The thing that comes to mind though, um, in a feed environment, so there's two dimensions to look at this, either in a feed environment or there's more established players which you have worked with like Facebook and like Google as an example, compare and contrast kind of the, the new entrant, um, you know, you could say, uh, you know, TikTok or WeChat and kind of those more established players. What's, what are the differences that you're faced with as a solutions provider for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the platform is incredible. It's addictive. I think the the content is becoming more diverse. You know, what it might have been two, three years ago before you and I knew it existed. It's certainly aging up. It's becoming more diverse and more interesting to a lot more people. And we, we see that as a part of our engagement. Um, the first thing that struck us in working with TikTok is, is just that the app itself is unlike a, a streaming video environment. And of course, the ad experience is different. You're not going through an ad to get to the content. It's a feed. Right, And so for my team, for our data scientists, for our engineers, it was an opportunity to really think hard about what the implications are for a feed-based video experience as opposed to what we do on YouTube, for example, or in Facebook's yeah. video. So there was a lot of contemplation about what safety and suitability means, what's important about adjacency to this particular uh, product. So I think that's the most important bit of com uh, comparison and contrasting. And that's the hardest thing for an advertiser ultimately to figure out is how do I how do I create content for this environment? How do I create ads for this environment? Mm. Um, so for us, the biggest consideration started with that. And, and then, you know, there's different types of content on TikTok than exist on YouTube or Facebook or elsewhere. It's, um, it's, uh, it's always for us. I mean, you, you know, David, our goal is for our content rating system to measure all ad supported video and give advertisers a consistent way of understanding the nature and quality of that content. In, in TikTok, we had to, as we always have, when we went from YouTube to Facebook and Facebook to TikTok, we're adjusting our taxonomy and trying to, to make sure that we're inclusive of all the types of content out there and describing it in as many ways as we think advertisers will want to know it. So there are just different types of video on TikTok. There's a lot less words in, in TikTok, right? There's the, the way that um, creators engage with, with their audience is different. So there's a, there's a lot of differences, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a powerful, engaging um, platform that is you know, lean in video. And I think that's what will eventually be very exciting to brand yep. advertisers. Yep, I, I agree with you. 
Um, let's let's talk a, a little bit. Let's let's pivot slightly. Brand safety and suitability. As you said, we've been talking about that uh, for a long time, uh, and uh, I think that for both of those dimensions, there's a spectrum uh, of marketers. There are those folks that are particularly conservative. Those folks that are a little bit more um, kind of willing to take some uh, risks, and obviously there's everyone uh, in between. How do you counsel uh, marketers or agencies on the topic of suitability, brand suitability in general, number one? And then the follow-on is, uh, do you believe just as an industry uh, we're too conservative, uh, or is that not a fair uh, assessment? I, I, I actually do, but I'll, I'll back up and- um, Okay, do number one. I think that. I think that on number one, I mean, I think you have to start with, and the timing is also great because as you know, as you know, the industry has aligned around a brand safety floor yep. really, really considerably in the past year. And it took a long time to get there. Um, and so it accounts for the content that no advertiser wants to be around that really probably most of the time should not be on any of these, any of these platforms, right? So that's a really strong starting point. That took a long time to figure out. That took a long time to get everybody to agree to. It took a lot of things that have happened in the last few years in our neck of the woods to, to land it. But I think it was really important. Um, I don't know how much further the industry can go, frankly, to align on all the other shades of gray. What, what I do know, having worked with hundreds of brands over the past 10 years, talking about just this one thing, is that every brand has a different set of values when it comes to content. Everybody has a different set of import when it comes to, or, or, or signals that go into the decision uh, about what kind of content they want to align with. Um, some care more about aligning with the right content. Some care more about avoiding certain types of content. It's a very complex issue. Um, and that's you know, why I started the company 10 years ago. It's becoming, I think, more complex as you add more types of platforms that have different types of ad products, different types of audiences, and different types of content. Um, so, I don't. Yeah, I do think that brand, as brands wade into this environment, you know, not just TikTok, but Facebook or YouTube, if they want to get the most out of it, I think they have to be reasonable about their expectations, and they have to. But but I think they have to really get involved in it. They can't just set it and forget it. I have to, they, they have to keep up with what the new trends are. They have to keep up with what their new products and ads uh, need to look like to to communicate in the right way in these environments. So it's challenging. I, I do think that. Suitability is, is always going to be a little bit more um, brand-centric than, than it is going to be an industry coming together and saying, here's the definition. And you did think that it was, we, we as in general, as an industry, were too cautious uh, in general. Is that your belief? Yeah, maybe, maybe not too cautious in general. I mean, some brands have come a long way. Some brands don't care. Yeah. Um, all of the advertisers that we work with, I'll tell you that some of the biggest CPG companies in the world... They have been very thoughtful in their approach and I think very reasonable. And what I've seen is a de-escalation over the last few years of certain sensitivities, but a digging in around others, right? So, so some things they, they have come to realize that, you know what, this is the environment, this is society today. If I want to communicate to anybody under 30, I need to accept that and, and embrace it as much as I can. Yeah. Um, but on other issues, um, certainly social, social issues of various types, um, any other sensitive issue that, that maps directly to a brand values, um, they've dug in and they say, I want to identify it and I want to avoid it as best I can. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that actually is a very, very nice segue into a topic area that uh, I'm personally passionate about and the IB is passionate about as well, which is the topic of news and uh, kind of the stark contrast uh, between kind of the, the consumer growth in, and importance in news and the kind of the, the knee-jerk reaction that we saw, I would say five or six months ago, 
that this is not an environment that I want my brand to be involved with. And, and news historically, uh, putting on my buyer hat has always been one of those ones where it's it's safer to not be there. So let's just include a whole host of things that it's better to not be there because uh, the 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 times that you could be on the wrong end of a story uh, of a type of story is something that we don't want to have to deal with. And the perception was that being in hard news was uh, uh, detrimental to a brand. So we actually. Uh, we started a internal campaign. It's now external facing calls news, news saves lives. We recruited a bunch of uh, publishers together with a focus on news and we did some research, uh, which we just released the executive summary about two weeks ago and the full report's coming out very, very soon. Uh, we did it with Magid. And in fact, the opposite was true, that actually news, trusted news provides a halo to brands and brands could actually benefit from being uh, in uh, news adjacencies. So not only is it good for the world, the country, for our health, for saving lives, but it's also good for brands. That was probably more of a mouthful than you needed to hear. But what do you think about news? How do, you, for it. How do you think about um, news and counseling uh, brands around kind of news adjacencies? So it's such an important issue. Um, so you know, David, that you didn't go back quite this far in, in my background, but I spent about 10 years at the Wall Street Journal. I was there yes. in very early yes, days. Yes, yes, yes. So. News has always been near and dear to my heart. I've got ink in my veins and I care deeply about the role that news plays in society and democracy in our economy, right? I'm also, we have some of our investors are from the news industry. I'm still in touch with a lot of my friends from the journal. Um, and you're right. And it, and it doesn't just go back five or six months. It goes back five or six years. I think it probably goes back three and three quarters years, um, quite a bit. Uh, if you look back, actually the Wall Street Journal reported, Suzanne Reitz reported uh, last year on news avoidance. Um, I think that was back in September of last year, August of last year, it might have been earlier. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult uh, subject, but it's one where we absolutely can do better. 100%, I look forward to seeing your full study, I read the summary, 100% agree that news is the most engaging content out there, right? If somebody's reading it, they're reading it with intensity. They're not reading it and looking at another screen, right? They're reading it, they care about it, yeah. even if it's politics, right? Even if it's sensitive subjects, they, they care about it. Um, I believe that we can do a lot better, and I think that OpenSight will play a part in it. I, I think that advertisers need to accept that there are a wide range of views among their, among their consumers, right? But that news is not just about politics. It feels like it today, but in fact, news is about lots of different things. Local yeah. news has little to do with politics, right? And there's a lot of local news out there that's massively underfunded by this problem. Um, I think what they need to accept is that, and, and this might not be our part, there's other folks out there that are thinking about it, but there is a subset of content producers that should get the checkbox, like the, the Twitter blue checkbox that says, I am a high quality news producer. I do the right things. I have journalistic standards, I publish corrections. I've got a real address. I'm a real set of people, maybe one people, maybe thousands of people, yep. right? But it doesn't stop at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. It goes well beyond that, it has to. And then beyond that, I think you have to be, to your previous question, David, you have to be a lot more realistic about what the sensitive subject matter is. And let's not even talk about keywords and, and you know, blocking keywords. That's just absolutely silly. Doesn't work, everybody knows it. But there are ways that you can use tools inherent in the ad platforms with data science like from companies like ours to be more scientific and more data-centric about the content that you truly need to avo avoid, but you have to be realistic, right? You can't just avoid anything that has to do with the president or the politics or the election or the Supreme Court. 
I think, I think our opinion is you have to identify the things, first of all, that legally you can't be around for, for whatever reason, right? COPA or FINRA or, yep. um, you know, you name it. There's some content you just can't be around. Okay, let's take care of that. And then there's some content that is truly meant to be polarizing, right? It's opinion content. And so we can isolate that. We can identify it and extract it very scientifically. It's not very hard. And then the slightly harder, but I think if, if you're reasonable, we can come up with definitions for things that are truly abhorrent or stomach churning or places that ad advertisers just, you don't want to show up in this content. It's just too awful. Right. right. And what we found in our research, interestingly, David, is that folks like in, in talking to uh, the folks at USA Today, Gannett, talking it to the New York Times, talking to um, McClatchy, other regional publications, they actually demonetize that kind of content a lot of the times on their own, right? Not just plane crashes, but things that are just like stomach turning and it, you know, so, but if we can codify that, if we can, if we can decide on um, that standard of things that are truly opinion-based, truly you can't be there or um, super sensitive um, and take that out in a more scientific way, I think what you're left with is some of the best content, whether it's video or, or text, some of the best content that the, the money can buy. Um, so I, I'm excited about it. We've got a couple of projects underway to, to support initiatives uh, in the news direction today. Awesome. Yeah, so clearly you are, uh, you're equally passionate. And I actually forgot about your, uh, your background in, uh, in journalism. But as you were saying it, I... I uh, background in I, journalism, maybe going a little too far. But well, you, within, you know what I mean. We're, we're news organization. a journalistic organization. You know what I mean. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's talk about another area that, that there's a lot of passion about. We, we spend a lot of time on it at the IAB, the removal or the deprecation of third-party identifiers, third-party cookies, um, lots of time at an industry level, partnership for responsible addressable media, PRAM, with kind of the entire ecosystem. Uh, and we have obviously, uh, we're leading kind of the technical working group through uh, Project REARC at the IAB Tech Lab. Uh, what does that do to your world? Does, that, does the, the elimination of third-party um, identifiers do anything to you? Are you affected by it in any way or, or no? So I'll tell you about generally how our technology works to answer the question you need to understand. My perspective okay. is somewhat unique, right? So what we look at is content and data about content, right? So for example, on YouTube today, we're watching probably 625, 650 million videos effectively all of the ad supported landscape, we're measuring all of that content. And primarily we're looking at textual engagement metadata. We're looking at asset level data. All of our decisions are based on video level data, but we're also developing stats and scores and ratings for the producers because both are equally important. Um, we've been doing that for a very long time. We've, we've consumed that type of data on other platforms. Obviously we have a partnership with Facebook, we have a partnership with TikTok. Overall, we're probably looking at 95% of, of ad supported video um, that's out there. But we only look at data about content. We only look at content. We don't look at users per se. You know, we're, we're thoughtful about what kind of content is attracting users, but we don't use cookies. We don't use beacons. We don't do demographics. Um, so we're not impacted by it at all on mm. that level. I think from a strategy perspective, obviously it benefits our business quite a bit. You know, content is becoming increasingly important. There are sensitivities that are driving uh, the importance of content. And then there's the opportunity to find audience and frankly, a really efficient way by targeting content, by being thought, just like when you were a media planner and I was whatever I was doing, you know, 20 years ago, it was, it was, um, it was driven by content. You were, you were choosing the types of publications that attract your audience and have the right kind of content for your ad message. And clearly the pendulum, you know, over the last 10, 15 years of, of, of online advertising swung 
way uh, too far in the direction of, I'm just gonna track that cookie and, and find that person who wants to buy something tomorrow. And, and you know, there will be solutions probably to appease that direct response advertiser. But I do think that content will become a lot more important uh, over the coming months and years as, as cookies become, um, you know, more extinct. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a debate that raged for oh at least a decade. Audience versus context, which is more important? And kind of uh, you know w when push comes to shove, uh, I was always a believer that uh, it's really important if you're selling diapers, you want to make sure there's a baby in the house. If you're selling dog food, you want to make sure there's a pet in the house. Uh, so, but I think the industry was uh, you know uh, had tunnel vision, was focused on audience to the detriment of everything else. And I think now there's a little bit more of an equilibrium. Uh, that is forming, which is actually quite interesting, which actually leads me to my next question. This is the time of year, as I fondly remember, that you start or are in the process of wrapping up your kind of planning cycle for next uh, next calendar year or, or next year's kind of go-to-market proposition. How does OpenSlate or how do you and your team kind of uh, influence investment decisions at this point in time? Like, are you talking to uh, agencies, strategists, and planners, uh, and talk to me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, our, our, our biggest clients, the folks that we know the best, um, have us uh, pretty well ingrained in their strategic planning process early, early in the process, right? So for some of our biggest clients, we're, we're talking to them all year, but in particular now, this is a unique year. Um, but definitely um, thinking about where their budgets are going to go next year, um, how much you're going on to social, um, in the social video platforms and how they might spend it. I'd say that the, the thing that I found, and this is, this is also unique to 2020, but it's how we, how we play a role, um, certainly now more than ever, is, is cl clients have been coming to us and asking us to be thoughtful, not just about their, their media allocations for next year, but about um, overall helping them understand or helping them create really kind of a content investment policy. In other words, they know that their ad dollars are funding these platforms or the producers on them and the content that they're running next to, and they wanna understand it better. So this process, a content investment policy process is something that's underway with dozens of advertisers that we work with. And effectively, it's the process that connects a brand's values uh, to the, the media planning as it relates to the content. Right, so we start typically right now, we're starting with when it comes to social and social video, um, we're helping them understand the gen and they have to get comfortable with the general community standards of a platform, right? So the Facebook boycott in July was not about, am I running next to bad content? That was about, is there bad content on Facebook? And do I still want my money to go there? And, and that has that, that stopped, I mean, maybe the boycott stopped in, in July, but man, have the conversations taken off ever since then. Like folks really wanna know what kind of content is in these feed environments? And, and that's kind of the first question, can I be there in the first place? Mm -hmm. So we, we've started to play a much more active role in that first layer of conversation. The second layer is adjacency. And I think this is actually the biggest brand safety discussion or issue of 2020, which is where is my ad running in feed environments in particular? And, and what am I running next to? Right? So once you understand what's, what the community standards are, which the platforms are doing a great job of articulating it, the next thing you need to understand is, where is my ad vis-a-vis -vis this content? Um, and, and how can I control for it? And there are some controls and sometimes there's not controls, but adjacency in feed environments is becoming a very big deal. And, and that's, some of, that's some of the hard work that we're doing in terms of 21 planning. And then obviously the most important one continues to be, and this has always been our focus, is in a lot of these places, YouTube and Facebook video in particular, your ad dollars, half your ad dollars going to the creator. 
Mm. And, and that's where the greatest sensitivity is, right? You don't want to be next to videos that don't align with your brand values. You do want to be next to certain types of videos that have certain types of content and audience, but you have to make sure because half your money is going to this creator that you don't just support the video, but you also support the creator and what they stands they stand for. And that's a very complicated, you know, YouTube alone probably has three or four million ad supported creators. It's a very complicated um, issue, but it's one that's become sharply in focus, but then connected to the previous two, to community standards, uh, adjacency in feed, and then overall, you know, where are my yeah. ad dollars going? Who are they supporting? Yeah, yeah. If, if there's one thing that you take away from this conversation, this is a complex and complicated issue. And uh, uh, just in general, kind of brand safety, brand suitability, getting your handle around all this content that you're seeing kind of ingesting uh, all the time. It's a, it's an art and science. It's machines and humans. Talk, talk a little bit about kind of what, how does that kind of interplay work in, in OpenSlate? Is it machine for, forward, uh, humans as backup? Talk about your taxonomy a little bit. What's your secret sauce? What makes you different, better, and special? I think the first thing is what I mentioned before is that all of our data science, um, and, and starting going back eight, nine years ago on, on YouTube, we started using their content API to describe not just the asset itself, yeah. but also the creator, right? So it's the combination, one of our secret sauces is I think it's a combination of video level data and decisioning with creator level data and decisioning. So a lot of yeah. things like the slate score, which is our, our quality metric relate to the creator, but then a lot of our safety and suitability relate, relates to the video uh, itself. It. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, I think the IAB has a great taxonomy. There's a lot that, you know, Google has great taxonomies. Um, we have our own, which is slightly derivative of those because we look at content, like I was saying before, across YouTube and Facebook and TikTok, and eventually it should be all video. And so we're trying to establish the right taxonomy for all video. And that's hard, right? And so that the fact that it's fluid and always evolving is... Uh, super important to us as well. As far as the question about machines and humans, look, we are looking at six, 700,000 videos on YouTube every day. You can't do that with eyeballs. But certainly anytime we go, we go after a new, uh, a new issue, something that advertisers want to uh, find or avoid, or a new way of measuring a piece of content or a creator, you need humans. You need to start with some assumptions, right? You need to watch a lot of video and you need to figure out what's there and then you need to come up with a sense of standards and what, what you're looking for. And only then can you sit down with the data science team and describe it to you. And then it's their job to translate it into, into algorithms that then need to be continually uh, updated and evolving. So it's- Got it. Yeah, oh. that makes sense. Got it. Um, I, I would be doing a disservice to our audience. This is my last question. Uh, we're sitting here on uh, at the end of October and we're a couple of weeks away from the election. There is no shortage of cacophony and din of advertising and mudslinging and false narratives and uh, the version of the truth, et cetera, et cetera. So how bad is it out there uh, from your perspective? And are you, do you have a solution for the market to help brand marketers kind of uh, isolate themselves from some of these kind of false narratives that, that we're seeing in the, in the marketplace? Um. Well, I don't know if that was a softball or not, because coincidentally, we just launched a conspiracy algorithm today where we're sort of I didn't finding, even know that. That was not a softball. That, and I wasn't going to mention it, but it's that's new. It's a part. It's going to clip into our news strategy. So oh, look it's at not that. just, it's not just politics. Later. It's nice. flat, flat earth. It's anti-vax. It's all that stuff. So we're trying to isolate that. And, and we've launched our first version of that. I mean, look, I, you have to be... Uh, you have to lean into the decisioning or, around it, right? From an advertiser's perspective, from a consumer perspective, I think it's very hard. I think 
that's a different issue from our perspective. If you're thoughtful and selective about the quality of the news outlets that you're aligning with, whatever bent you might think they have, then you're probably not going to have a problem there. But if you just go into an ad buying system and click news or deselect news, you're, you're casting a, a very, very wide brush against the problem. And I, I don't think that's the right solution in this particular moment. And I don't think that's the right solution uh, overall. Um, fingers crossed that, that the more of the right information gets out there over the next few weeks than not. Got it. I might have lied. I've got one more. 2021, are you optimistic about, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure if it could be any worse than 2020. Tell, give us some hope. What are you optimistic about? What are you looking forward to in 2021? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our, our TikTok partnership. I think there's a lot that's going to happen on that front. Um, the trends that we've seen this year are, and you know this from your from your uh, consistent meetings with the revenue guys out there, um, businesses come back with a vengeance. And yeah. I don't know if that's true of every part of the industry, uh, every part of advertising, certainly, but in, in online video, um, more dollars have, have come into this marketplace a lot more than we saw in this period last year, from my perspective, right? So... I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating a continued trend. We're building a business model off, off that trend for next year. We're investing uh, into it for next year. We want to build um, products that support that holistic view of, of social video. And I think we're in the right place at the right time. So personally, I'm excited. I think from an industry, we do have a lot to look forward to. I think this was a pretty rough year. Um, so yes, I'm looking forward to turning the page uh, in the calendar too. Amen. It's, uh, it's great to see you. Maybe we'll do lunch when we are actually back to doing that at some point in the city. God hopes uh, in the near future. And it was, uh, it was great to see you. Great to see all the good stuff that's going on at Open Slate. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk uh, sometime soon. But thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. On our next IAB there, we are excited to welcome Brendan Monahan, uh, CEO of Megaphone. And we will discuss the innovations in podcast marketing technology. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our, our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Aunts, John Ward, and Carrie Villanueva. I'm David Cohen, and thanks for watching. See you next time.